Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Hey everybody, it's Devin, and before we get started, just a note that this episode contains mentions of suicide and domestic violence. I'm Devin Kadiyama, and you're listening to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. Shortly after the mass shooting at a Valley Transportation Authority rail yard in San Jose two weeks ago, we started hearing from public officials about California's red flag law. It's a law that's supposed to prevent gun violence before it happens, but it's still not used that often, and we don't know how effective it really is at stopping mass shootings. A gun violence restraining order is a band-aid. It's not a medicine, and it's not gonna cure the problem. Today, what California's red flag law does and why actually using it is more complicated than it seems. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. After a mass shooting, there are usually a list of things that people talk about as a way that a shooting could have been prevented. And a red flag order is one of them. 
Aditi Banlamudi is a Silicon Valley reporter for KQED. Well, very basically speaking, red flag laws are sort of meant for people who have raised red flags in the past. And officials like Santa Clara County Supervisor Dave Cortese, like Assemblymember Phil Ting and Representative Rokana and a number of others have been talking about red flag laws as a way that could have prevented this shooting from happening. I feel like with mass shootings in America, they often follow these scripts, like there's the shooting and there's a lot of attention being paid to certain gun laws. Why is there so much attention on California's red flag law after this particular shooting? So after we learned who the shooter was, we learned that there was a history of domestic violence against his ex-wife, against uh, a former girlfriend, um, and also you know, back in 2016, he was on his way back from the Philippines and he was detained by U.S. Customs and Border Protection. And he had all of these books on him about terrorism and this black memo book filled with notes about how he hates the VTA. So this seems to be a case where a red flag order could have been in place, but maybe wasn't. So let's talk a little bit about what a red flag law is. How is it supposed to work? Basically, the way it works is if you live with someone or you know someone really intimately who has made threats or is being violent and you believe that they're going to hurt themselves or others, you can ask a judge to issue what's called a gun violence restraining order. The judge will ask for evidence that this person is being violent. And in some cases, if it's really dire and the person is you know, going to be violent or is expected to be violent really soon, they'll have what's called an ex parte hearing where the person in question doesn't have to be present at the hearing and the order is sort of placed against them and then guns get taken away. Depending on the situation, a person might go and turn in their gun after receiving one of these orders. Or, more likely, the police will go to the person and seize the guns themselves. Red flag laws are still pretty new. California was actually one of the first states to get a red flag order on its books. California adopted it in 2014 after the Isla Vista shooting near UC Santa Barbara, where the gunman killed six people. But before that, he was sort of broadcasting that he wanted to commit a shooting. Lately, it's actually been expanded. So in 2019, Assemblymember Phil Ting was trying to pass legislation and succeeded. Governor Newsom signed uh, the, the bill into law, which basically adds employers, co-workers, and educators to the list of people who can ask a judge for a gun violence restraining order. How often is this law being used and in which counties? Last year, about two-thirds of all red flag orders in California came from five counties. San Diego, Santa Cruz, Santa Clara County, Santa Barbara, and Orange County. To get one of these orders approved by a judge, you have to have a lot of interdepartmental coordination, which requires a lot of organization and effort. And if not everybody knows what a red flag order even is, then to get that process through is going to be difficult. In San Diego, in Santa Cruz, in Santa Clara, they have spent a lot of time and resources into getting law enforcement officials educated on what this kind of order is and how to get it through. 
the law is only as good as it's known by people in our community. I was talking to Santa Clara County District Attorney Jeff Rosen, who was saying that in the beginning, when this law was sort of put into effect, officers really weren't using it. It was only until 2019 and 2020 when they really started spending time and money on educating people that the frequency of these orders being issued actually increased. We expect to see an increase in the use of these orders in the years going ahead as we educate more and more individuals and businesses about them. I know you also spoke to Assemblymember Phil Ting. What does he think about the idea of using this tool more often? You know, gun violence restraining orders are not a panacea, they're a tool. He definitely was one of the people pointing to this law as something that that could be used and more awareness needs to be spread around this, but also that there is a little bit of a gap in our understanding of how to use this law. I don't think we need um, more amendments. What we need is for more people to understand this tool and for more people to figure out how they can use it. In 2019, this law got expanded. And then the next year, the pandemic happened. And now we're getting out of the pandemic and people are getting back to work and getting back into schools. And unfortunately, mass shootings are becoming a thing again. And there is a sort of gap in remembering that these laws exist and spreading awareness that this is something that people can use. You know, we've made progress in stopping some of these shootings. However, uh, these awful incidents, whenever they happen, whether it's at the VTA or in Parkland, Florida, or at the UPS uh, facility in San Francisco, whenever these incidents um, happen, we're always left wondering what if. Because red flag laws are still pretty new, there's not a lot of information about how effective they are. One study from UC Davis's Violence Prevention Research Program looked at 21 cases over three years where California police petitioned to take guns from people who threatened to commit mass shootings. None of those people went on to kill someone else or themselves. So that's one promising sign. But Aditi points out that the red flag law is actually used most often in situations of domestic violence or when someone is at risk of suicide. And it's in those cases when red flag laws have some real limitations. I talked to someone who is really familiar with how red flag orders work, and her name is Esther Parales-Diekman. She runs Next Door Solutions to Domestic Violence. There is a lot of research to support that the perpetrators who commit mass shootings usually had earlier incidents of violence or abuse. The organization supports domestic violence survivors, primarily in the South Bay. They're based in San Jose, and they don't have any relation to the Next Door app. You know, restraining orders will work. If the person observes and will respect that restraining order. When I talked to her about how this law is really put into effect, she talked about how complicated it actually is. Very often we find that people who perpetrate violence are very focused on hurting and abusing the victim. And they're not necessarily concerned about their restraining order. One issue with these laws is that it requires evidence for a judge to issue this order. And when a person is experiencing abuse, it is a lot to worry about also collecting evidence that this abuse is happening. Even the person who is the subject of the restraining order has rights. And especially, you know, if that person is is in a profession that requires um, operating a firearm, 
that definitely is something in the mind of the survivor, because in many cases, the survivor is financially dependent on the person who is inflicting abuse. Another problem is that, you know, in these situations, it requires a lot of cooperation with law enforcement. And if you're already nervous of how law enforcement is going to, you know, act towards your case, is going to really support you, you're not likely to go to them. If you are undocumented or if you are a person of color, you're not necessarily going to go to the cops immediately for help. These are all things that we hear from survivors. So there's a lot of... um, deterrence to reporting to following through with the restraining orders. It makes these laws really, really tricky, and it's not as uh, simple a solution as maybe we would like to believe. I think those laws are very important. They're very complicated, and they can they sort of depend, too, on the local communities. And so depending on how that interaction is happening among all those system players, that will also determine how effective red flag laws are. So there's all of these systems in place, and Paralas Diekman talked about how this law is there, and maybe this law can be effective. But the problem is it exists within a system that is already sort of stacked against the victim, which makes it hard to be as effective as it maybe could be otherwise. There are no guarantees. No one can guarantee 100% that a restraining order will prevent violence. Esther talked about red flag laws as an intervention tool. It's used when violence has already started. And she talked about how violence is almost like a disease. If you get in contact with it, you can spread it. And so we have to really go further back and to see where can we intervene before violence happens or to prevent the escalation of violence. She's not really focusing on these orders to protect the people she works with. She wants to prevent violence from happening in the first place. Like, what does a healthy relationship look like? How can she intervene in couples or in families that are already starting to display toxic behavior? And she feels like if she can do this and stop it from beginning, then maybe the work that she does will be more effective. Prevention is really where we're going to make more difference in terms of Can we lower violence in the community? Can we stop some of these um, violent acts that are happening across the country? Um, Prevention is key. A gun violence restraining order is a Band-Aid. It's not a medicine, and it's not going to cure the problem. Aditi, you, you actually went to the VTA yard, rail yard, the morning of the shooting which happened two weeks ago, and you've reported on gun violence before. What's the biggest takeaway from this story for you? Mass shootings bring up these topics, like red flag laws, like background checks, like checking in on on people who are dangerous. There are a lot of things that people are talking about, and they always seem to talk about them in the context of mass shootings. But the thing is that suicide is the most common kind of gun violence in America, and domestic violence is also a very common one. They're they're not as attention-grabbing as a mass shooting is, but they take so many lives. And we need to include those in how we think about laws to prevent gun violence. Aditi, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thanks for having me.
This week, the U.S. Department of Justice drafted so-called model legislation for red flag laws. They're hoping that other states can use it as a framework to come up with their own proposals. Thanks to Aditi Banlamudi, a Silicon Valley reporter for KQED. Aditi will also be participating in a live KQED special tonight, Wednesday at 6 p.m., where KQED reporters will be talking about the state of gun violence prevention in California. This episode was edited and mixed by Erica Cruz Guevara and Alan Montesilio. Shailen Martos is our production assistant. Issa Mendoza writes our Friday newsletter. I'm Devin Kadiyama. That's it from us to you. Talk to you later. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.